Welcome to the Vault Podcast, classic music reviews, presented by IV Creative. Now, here's your hosts, B. Cox and the crew. Greetings and welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of the Vault Podcast, classic music reviews, presented by IV Creative. It's a perspective of the classics from a fresh point of view. We appreciate you for taking your time and lending your ears to our perspective. You could be anywhere listening to anything, but you're right here with us, so we thank you. With you today is yours truly, B. Cox, and with me once again, I have my boy, J.O., here in the place to be, joining each other, of course, over the interwebs. I want to thank all y'all on this fine, fine day that we are here. Hope that everybody is safe and doing well around us, wherever you are in the sound of our voice whether that's stateside or worldwide. Thank you so much once again for continuing to support the show. It's been an action-packed year here on the Vault Classic Music Reviews. We've had a ton of reviews, a lot of things that we haven't even gotten to, and we just want to close the year out strong. Of course, these last couple of months, we want to make sure that we give it to y'all, and it's coming fast and hot and heavy. So make sure y'all stay tuned and keep your ears open and eyes peeled for what's coming down the pipe for the end of the year for the Vault. Once again, thank you to all the listeners out there for continuing to get the numbers up there and getting the word out. Continue to look out to see where we pop up. You never know. We joined on Audio Mac or also on Podchaser. You'll soon see us on Good Pod. So make sure y'all checking that out and support us, following us as well. And make sure y'all leaving those positive reviews for those of y'all who love the show. As we always say here on The Vault, our motto is hashtag open the vault, hashtag nothing but the classics. And it's been an action-packed one for classics considering the years and in particular for one year and we have yet another one jay today of that year we've been going back to 25 years for quite some time now and this is no different for this particular album for those of us who were out and around at that time and saw this album come out kind of hit us out of left field and it really capped which was going to be a banner year for tupac we are of course talking about tupac shakur and 25 years ago, if you do the math, you know that this was also the year that he was gunned down in Las Vegas and lost his life on September 13th, 1996. But we are going to go back 25 years ago to talk about the album, that last album coming out released on Death Row and his first posthumous album, which is recorded underneath the alias of Machiavelli and the Don Caluminati, The Seven Day Theory album which came out on november 5th of 1996 and was the second tupac album that came out that year or the second project that came out this year after all eyes on me jay came out in 1996 that was the wildly successful double album that came out and was tupac's first release on death row records and this recording in particular is about this album recorded between Literally between July 8th and August 27th, 1996, as a matter of fact, Jay, the story is that this album was completely finished recording in seven days during the first week in August. And the majority of the rest of the time was spent around mixing and mastering and making sure that it was ready. This album was coming out, always meant to come out in November or supposed to at least come out later on in the year or by the next year. But after Tupac's death, some things did change in regards to this album being released. And because the public was still so stunned by his death and because the public was also galvanized by his passing and it was so fresh in their minds, this ended up coming out. Albeit though, it was in the same year as all eyes on me. Very unusual that you'll see a rapper put out two projects in the same exact year, only because you don't want to cannibalize any type of sales from the other album. 
but there was no need for them to worry about that at all. A runtime of 59 minutes and five seconds recorded at the Can-Am Studios in Los Angeles, California on Death Row Records, of course. And the producers on this, a little bit different than what the direction he went with with All Eyes on Me, Jay. You know, he had production on there by Dre, by Daz, a couple other production on there, I believe, as well, with DJ Quick to help mix the album. Uh, Devontae Swing did some production on All Eyes on Me as well. These were all fairly unknown producers to most hip-hop heads. These were, as most folks would say, were the B-team when it came to Death Row producers, only because the story around that goes like this in regards to how they were added to the album, which we'll get into in a second. Producers on this, mostly Daryl Big D. Harper, Heard Him Bad, Reggie Moore, and also QD3 or Quincy Jones III. Now, Quincy Jones III was the uh, son of the Quincy Jones, and also the brother of who was Tupac's fiance at the time of his death, Kadada Jones. So um, he was also added on this. He produced actually To Live and Die in L.A., one of the singles that was released on Machiavelli. Speaking of the singles, the singles included Toss It Up, which released in late September as mere two weeks after Tupac died. To Live and Die in L.A., released in November of 1996. And then Hail Mary, which came out. In fe- late, I would say late December, or in, in between December, and then released nationally February 11th, 1997. Jay, as the story goes with the producers who produced on Machiavelli, with Hurt and Bad, with Big D, with QD3, and Reggie Moore, they were all in Can-Am Studios, and they put them what they called, when they were working on the album, put them in what they called the whack room which is really the the room for the producers that may not necessarily make the project where they sort of sit. And while they were there, it was pretty much they, they said like, hey, bring these guys in here. You got some, got some beats. Let's go ahead and let's hear what they got. So these producers ended up being a part of the project. And as we all know how we heard about Pac's work ethic when he's in the studio, he gets stuff, he gets beats, and he rolls with them. He was like mechanical when it came to being able to do this stuff it was like clockwork and he would sit there and knock all these songs down knock them down knock them down knock them down and this provided a little bit of a different sound with Machiavelli as you heard before the what you heard with all eyes on me and I think it was somewhat of a welcome change from what you heard from there and some people would even say that it was more of a return to what you heard on the previous album before all eyes on me which was me against the world somewhat more of that sound so here we are, though, Jay, talking about Machiavelli, and it's been 25 years. I remember when this came out and, you know, the shock, first of all, that this album was coming out so soon after he had died and just how much people jumped on it. Um, this became a really, really big album, and I would even dare to say that it was even bigger than All Eyes on Me when it came out, man. But just give me your ideas and recollections of what you thought about this album when it first came out and then since then what you thought about it since the 25 years have passed. Yeah, so I remember that dream, like, yeah, 10th grade, 1996, like, and like he was saying, like, you know, Pac Pass was, like, pretty much, obviously, still fresh in our minds. I mean, it pretty much it just happened. I mean, like, the news cycle back then was a little bit slower than now, you know what I'm saying? Because, yeah. yeah, we had the internet, but it wasn't, like, as quick as it is now, like, you know what I mean? It wasn't, like, as in real time as it is, as it is nowadays, so, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? For this to come out, I was like, hold up, like, you know what I'm saying? Because I guess this is back when, like, you know, they still had, like, commercials of albums like you know I saw the commercial for like the Machiavelli joint that was playing Toss It Up mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying it was like a party joint you know what I'm saying so like mm-hmm. for him to be gone and then like you know what I'm saying this party joint comes on it's almost like 
dang, is he even really gone? Like, right, exactly. It's like, it's, it's like he's still partying on. So, you know what I'm saying? Like, okay, I was thinking, hmm, you know, mm-hmm. we already know Dre left the label. I wasn't really sure if Daz was going to contribute. So, yeah. I'm saying I copped it. I kind of still feel the same way. I guess I was like more, raw, it was like more raw at the time, but like, mm-hmm. that joint definitely had like a darker feeling to me. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I mean, I guess like right, like right off the heels, like all the drama between like him and Biggie and him getting killed out there and then pretty much like that was like at the fall, like at the tail of like the fall of death row. You know what I'm saying? Because Sugar just got off the jail because it was um, pro- parole violation. Yeah. So like, you know what I'm saying? Then listen to the content. I mean, even the way the joint starts off, which is like, I hope I'm not jumping ahead. That's like, had, it's got like one of the hardest intros I've ever heard, like for yeah. a hip hop album. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like I mean, I was I was pleasantly surprised by the by the production. I was like, because I was kind of worried, like you know, it's not gonna have the same integrity. But mm-hmm. sure enough, it held up. But then looking back on it, then I mean, because I mean, even again with him being gone, like him still taking shots at people and everything like that. Even Biggie on the I'm saying introduction to that joint. So like, damn, it's like, mm. you know, what I'm saying it's still raw, still fresh, it's like still going on. So yeah, it it's, it's contributed to that darker feeling. But now, fast forward, now I mean. Still has that dark feeling to me again because it just puts me back at the time, like thinking about like, all the emotion that went into it. Yeah, and I, I'm how obviously bitter he was as far as like everything that happened, but like as far as the material, I mean, it, it's it's definitely held up over you know, since this past like two and a half decades. Yeah, definitely. The feeling when this came out is just like, damn, Pac got another album out already. Like, how was this? able to happen like back then we didn't have access to really unless you were really into music journalism and understanding how the process went like insiders view like the way that we have in so many ways the albums are made nowadays you would have had no idea that Pac was as soon as he got out of jail he was recording crazy crazy albums like he had things done and he wanted to move at a pace like uh, I remember reading and seeing as well that his death row contract was for three albums you know all eyes on me is double album that's two albums this was supposed to be the third album. He had plans, and I'm convinced that he had plans to be able to go and do his own thing. We'd always talk about the whole, you know, the plans that Shook had with him with Death Row East, but I know that he wanted to start the whole thing with Machiavelli Records, and he wanted to go out and have his own artist, you know, roster and be in charge of actually being the boss of the record label and not just being a part of the label itself. So a lot of things I think were at stake in the making of this album, not even knowing that he was going to be dead a few months later after doing this i would say even a month after he finished his album he would be dead but from the album cover to you know the imagery of him being on the cross which gave a certain was supposed to mean his crucifixion through the media because he was always a target of the media because of his bad boy image because he was a convicted felon because he had been accused of rape and sexual assault and because of all the things about his they said about his music and because he had gotten off for shooting two cops and because of all the things he represented because of who his family was and because of who he he was at his core, intellectual, very revolutionary, a rebel, you know, something that scares America. You know, he he really embodied what America was so afraid of. And the cover of this album, the fact that he had just died, it's like, oh, he's up on his cross. Like, what does this mean? Like, wow, this is like really, really provocative. I remember just a lot of the controversy around the album cover itself was just one thing. Absolutely. You know? But in listening to this album, it's like, like it's almost like a hunger that you can't really describe. If I were to say what I remember when listening to this album was almost like a mix of me against the world and all eyes on me. 
the venom was there for more eyes on me in regards to his enemies, you know, him talking about Biggie and Nas, and then he definitely had smoke for Jay-Z, but then there were other people he was talking about, especially in one of the tracks on here, all uh, Against All Odds, you know, which is uh, one of the like, most famous tracks from this album. I mean, he was talking about people like De La Soul. He was talking about Chino XL. You know, he had he had smoke for Haitian Jack and Jimmy Henchman, considering all the history that they had and the role that they played in regards to his shooting at Quad Studios. So I felt as though there was like a hunger and I've and in listening to a lot of the lyrics, I felt like he finally also had his focus back. Not to say that he wasn't focused during during All Eyes on Me, but I felt like All Eyes on Me was raw anger and energy of him being out of prison. I think when he finally had a chance to sort of sit down and see his future in front of him as far as what it would be and what he wanted it to be, I felt like that focus was there. You could hear it in songs like Blasphemy. You could hear it in Hold Your Head. You can hear it in White Man's World. You know, those lyrics kind of struck back to me at what Tupac was at his core. I mean, we talked about this earlier when we did our All Eyes on Me feature earlier this year. I felt as though that was a Tupac that was you know, hopped up on caffeine <laughs> and was pumped up with steroids of hate and vitriol and what not just Suge, but whoever else was around him that was saying everything about everyone who had abandoned him when he, since he had left jail. This, I feel, is a little bit more, while it has the venom, it's a bit more focused. And I felt as though the variety on this album speaks to more what the what the artist of Tupac was before we knew him to be a death row artist and before he was the biggest star in rap and the most loved and also most hated rap star. I remember this being big though. And I remember like even with the videos with Toss It Up and then Hail Mary being an absolutely huge, huge hit. Even now, 25 years later, this is one of his biggest hits ever. It's a song that when you hear it played that you get a reaction out of people to see how people responded to it after he died. I mean, this album went four times platinum. I mean, <laughs> it was uh, certified four times platinum as of June 15th of 99. So not even three years afterwards, it went quadruple platinum. It sold over 600,000 copies in its first week. And um, that was the second highest first year week sales total of that year. And we're talking about 1996. So that's quite an accomplishment right there in itself. But this album, to me, only added to the to the legend and the mythology of what Tupac was, especially now since he had been dead. And it really kind of started that post-Tupac legacy where we moved on until you got into the other posthumous albums like Are You Still Down and Changes and all the other material here recorded that we he had meant for us to hear but meant to him to be here to be able to maybe explain why he was here as well but this album to me I, like i thought i thought it was incredible the production on here i think mirrors more what we heard of me against the world which i mean obviously i feel as that's his best album but i feel as though this is more me against the world than it is all lies on me all lies on me had a lot of famous guests you know guest appearances on this on this you have a couple i mean you have the outlaws and then with Toss It Up, you have Aaron Hall, Danny Boy, and Casey and JoJo, which is crazy that you have three singers on there really like on that song. Just a, a great album to me. I think it was a little bit more focused, and I feel it was just a, what we could expect from him should he was stuck or had he, had he been able to stick around. And not only that to say, but everyone had a copy of this album. I felt like when the first week that this came out, I felt like I saw this. The people just pulling the CD out of their backpacks or having it out at lunch. And you were seeing that album cover almost everywhere on cassette holders. You saw it everywhere. 
it was everywhere. It really was everywhere. So now we're going to get into highlights. So Jay, we'll get into your highlights, man. Tell us what you think about the highlights on here and any lowlights if you have them as well. Yeah, so I mean, like, even before I get into, like, the track, another thing just came across my mind is, like, the, just, like, the whole mystique behind it. Like, yeah. you know, how you were saying with, like, the him on the cross, like, even the disclaimer saying it's not meant to disrespect Jesus Christ, but, like, yeah, you know what I'm saying? I'm, I'm kind of one of those hip-hop nerds. I'd look at the credits on the joint. Mm-hmm. And you know, and remember, like, remember, like Death Row joints, it just said like everything on the back was like executive produced by Suge Knight, but this one just said Simon on it. You recall that? Yeah, yeah, uh huh. So yeah, like, yeah. Well, that was that was supposedly they had nicknames for each other, Pac mm-hmm. and Suge, and Suge's nickname was Simon, and Pac's was right. Machiavelli. You know, that all played back to where he got the Machiavelli from in the first place, from reading the book from the Ma- Nick Nicolo Machiavelli, the Prince. And so Pac was very clever with things like that. Like they, everything was intentional about this album from the album cover to Simon. I mean, that's that stuff that we all kind of found out afterwards. Like, yo, who the fuck is Simon? And now we know who the yeah, fuck I, Simon I is. I was asking like, oh, who is this? Like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, it just, it was no, like no alias just said Simon. Like, yeah, it's kind of creepy. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. And like I said, I add to the mystique and like that eerie feeling, but mm-hmm. like, yeah. Yeah. I'm not like you were saying as far as like the um, highlights, I mean, of course, like the singles, like Toss It Up. I, even I would speak on Toss It Up, like, you know, like you said, four singles on there. I mean, of course, you know, Danny Boy from, like, you know, being on Death Row. We yeah. all knew Casey and JoJo by that point. But then it was a pleasant surprise to me hearing Aaron Hall on that joint. Like, oh, yeah. It's a like, hold up, man. Where you been, bro? Like, yeah. you know, like, <laughs> yes. like, I mean, I mean, I understand. I mean, not to piss anybody off, but I mean, R. Kelly did kind of get like his whole style from Aaron Hall, but yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, so it's like, I mean, it, yeah, because I mean, you remember, he, he like Aaron Hall kind of disappeared, like, so mm-hmm. it's yeah. like, well, okay, oh, shit, like, I mean, I'm like, like, it's Aaron Hall gonna put on some material in Death Row, like, mm, yeah, you know, what I'm saying he, he kind of came in, it's like, I almost like stole the show, but like, he's like, look, I'm here, like, I'm you know, here. what I'm saying? Yeah, like, he announced himself, <laughs> exactly, right, right. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the King of Sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets and so much more download the app in virginia today and get 150 dollars in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at betmgm betmgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly see betmgm.com for terms 21 plus only virginia only new customer offer subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days please gamble responsibly gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER promotional offer not available in washington dc to live and die in LA. It was like a nice joint, you know what I'm saying, for the city and everything like that. Mm. Just showing love to everybody. Yeah. And even with that, I mean, it kind of had a gangster turn to, gangster turn, um, a tune to, excuse me. Mm-hmm. I mean, as far as like people he was shouting out, like, I mean, I don't know if you follow like the behind the scenes stuff about Death Row, but like, mm-hmm. how he was shouting out like Buntry and Neckbone and yeah. Big Heron and like all these people. All them folks, yeah, from Death Row, yeah. yeah. I'm pretty sure like all of them are dead by now, if I'm not mistaken. I mean, yeah. I know Buntry and uh, Heron are gone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, man. And, uh, but yeah, so like, I mean, he was like more associating with like that underground side of Death Row, the street side of Death street Row. Street side, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So like, I mean, dope song regardless. Of course, Hail Mary. I mean, that beat, just the lyrics and everything like that. And um, Yeah, incredible. I'm trying to think what else. Of course, Against All Odds. And um, 
me and my girlfriend, and especially like White Man's World. I don't think I don't think that one gets talked about enough. Yeah, my goodness. Yeah, that's yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, White Man's World. Oh, and I'm, I'm yeah, and almost we had like bomb first, like again because it just it ties to my point. Like you know how how that, that it was such a hard intro. You know what I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. the way his vocals came in, those gunshots, and then just like that, how the beat just kicks over that last that seventh gunshot, and even then there was controversy with that. Like mm-hmm. yeah, like he knew he was gonna get shot seven times. Seven times. I mean, it could have been mixed down different after that. You know what I'm saying? But oh yeah, again, it adds to the mystique of the album. It definitely adds to the mystique of the album. And amazing that, you know, we talked about things being mixed and things being what was added afterwards. I'm always interested to see what was added afterwards, because Mm -hmm. as we all remember, and, you know, this has been talked about in interviews and folks who were there uh, in particular, folks who were in Tupac's crew and then also Nas speaking on this on King's Disease this year. He spoke about it on Death Row East about the problems that Pac had with him and then them pretty much meeting each other the at the MTV music video awards. And then also at the park that weekend and pretty much their two crews coming at it. Nah, thought, thought things were going to go left for a quick second, but him, what happened is him and Pac had a chance to talk and chop it up and Pac, him and them, they talked and Pac said, well, he thought that Nas meant something when he was talking about something like this. And now I say, well, nah, I ain't never, I wasn't even talking about you. Like we, like, yo, I just think we need to sit down and try to work something out. Like, for real, like, we've been needing to work with each other for a while. And so when they when Pac left, they were both on good terms. And Pac said, yo, look, come out to Vegas. I'm going to be out in Vegas for the Tyson fight. Come out there, man. Let's, let's, let's chop it up and start to think about getting some work done. And as he was leaving, I think he was telling, I think it, it was Eric B. Or maybe some other folks he was talking to. Eric B. and some other folks from Death Row. Like, yo, when we get back, we're going to make sure that shit on an album, we're going to take all that shit about Nas out. And that was the plan for him to take all the shit about Nas out. But obviously he died. And yeah. Suge, you know, being who he is, mm-hmm. left the shit in there. <laughs> left the shit in there. Because when Pac died, he didn't have a problem with Nas. Based on everything that everybody tells us, he did not have a problem with Nas. That does sort of add to the mystique of the album. Um, as far as oh, what I was, was, I was also going to say, like you know, to that not to that point about Nas, like because I, I wasn't familiar with the backstory as far as like that stuff supposed to have been taken out, taken out. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, okay, because against all odds, you know, what I'm saying it's kind of like a duality with Nas because mm-hmm. against all odds, you know, he was dissing. I mean, he was dissing Nas in that joint, but then you know the, the whole track about me and my girlfriend that was yeah. inspired by Nas. I gave you, power. I gave you power. Yeah, yeah. He was inspired by I gave you power to write me and my girlfriend. And there's nothing more than, other than you could pay homage to a, a rapper by having him inspire you and then write a song based off that inspiration. So, yeah, that's the ultimate sign of respect that you can give someone and a way that you can do it without it necessarily being biting. You know what I mean? Because you're talking about two different tracks other than I gave you power and me and my girlfriend. So, yeah. Oh, um, then like, but then the whole thing was like that. I mean, like mm-hmm. some people consider biting on Jay Z, like yeah, the old three Bonnie and Clyde during like years later. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, of I, course, like you know, Jay Z. <laughs> I mean, Pac didn't like Jay Z, so right. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, that nah, that was that was biting. I mean, let's <laughs> let's let's call let's call the spade a spade. Jay's bit that joint, and he yeah. completely bit it. And it's funny because I think you've seen that YouTube video where they switched up his words when he says. He first said, I'm not a biter. I'm a writer for myself and others. And they switched up his words. That said, I'm not a writer. I'm a biter. It's like a seven minute track. People mixed to him, quote unquote, biting things from other people. But anyway, you're you're absolutely right, though. My highlights. So on here, 
Obviously, man, bomb first. <laughs> it's a hard ass intro. It's a it's an ominous intro considering the things they talk about in the beginning. Um, he goes hard on this and really spits some venom on this to open up to set the tone. Hail Mary. I mean, it's come on. Like it's it's um one, the beat by Hurt Him Bad did this thing on this. The outlaws did their thing on this. Pac had a you know, the the hook and everything kind of just made this a classic, classic track. To live and die in LA, man, it's it's great because I think it's a like you said, shout out to Twelve Kyle, man. I know Kyle's gonna listen to this, you know, he's gonna listen and he also reviewed this album um um with his boy Q and they talked about, you know, and his guy said it that, you know, this is really like a sort of like a love, a love letter to LA, you know what I'm saying? To living on the West Coast, period. And like you said, it's a real cool and laid back track, but it does have a little bit of that gangster feel to it, you know? That it's a quintessential West Coast track for me. It's like one of those things where somebody had like, you know, oh, well, there's a scene of a sunset in California. And somebody said, oh, what would you have playing in your ride as you're riding to the sunset? And a lot of people said to live and die in L.A. And I'm like, that's perfect. <laughs> that's absolutely perfect. Blasphemy. I love blasphemy. And I love blasphemy because I love the message in it, especially that first verse. Just the lessons and stuff that you learn and the things that and when he talked about in that first verse is exactly the same type of thing that he dealt with at many different times in his life. Having to watch your homies. I mean, the whole thing we talked about, he talked about it with on Against All Odds with Haitian Jack and Jimmy Henchman. They were the ones who end up setting his ass up to be shot and robbed in the first place, which led to the beef with him with Puffy and, and Bicky because he thought that at first they had set him up, but then also was mad because he was like, y'all niggas knew or knew some shit was going to happen and still didn't tell me or didn't want to try to tell me who did it. So anyway, it does have a lot of words in there that makes you think about how Tupac's life went and those type of things and the lessons that he had learned. He had wised up to a lot of things by then. Crazy. I actually love crazy. I think the message in that one as well sort of gives you a peek inside of his mind in regards to, you know, the things that he goes through and what he uses to be able to cope with it as well. As you mentioned, man, white man's world. I mean, that to me is quintessential pop. When we talk about some of the pop that you see in the interviews, what you see in the interviews on MTV or the ones you see with Ed Gordon, like that philosophical rebel revolutionary, the children of Panthers pop. That's exactly who that is on that song. And to me, I think that's really Pac at his best. You know, I really think that it is Pac at his best when he's sort of like this type of song where he's really waxing, waxing poetically about the the state of black people in this white man's world. And it's everything that even as black men, I know that we can relate to even now. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah. Uh, me and my girlfriend, I mean, like, yo, this is the original and we talk about Jay and many people will look at Jay's version. But, yo, this Jay's version can't touch this shit. This shit is great. Incredible, man. It's an incredible <laughs> song. And, you know, give many, many, many props to Pac to being able to take that inspiration from I gave you power to running and being able to make this joint. The last two tracks on here as well. Hold your head. I think great. I mean, you, here you go. talking about his homies, you know, ones who have been locked down, the ones who aren't here anymore, paying homage and tribute to them. And then against all odds, everyone will talk a lot about hit him up and that being the diss track. But this to me, I think I actually think this is the better diss track, you know, one, because it's only it's Pac and only Pac and Pac pretty much has smoke for everybody on this joint, not just his rap folks. He has them for everybody. When you listen to it, even the people that he doesn't mention, like in particular, him talking about De La Soul and referencing, you know, old ass rappers pretty much there. They trying to get their time back, but their time is done. He talked about that in the very last interview that he did 
before he died. And he talked a lot about, you know, you know, all these old ass rappers out here, niggas like De La Soul and such and such. And these niggas trying to talk all this stuff about, you know, whatever it is they trying to say, man, these niggas times are done and they're jealous. You know, um, this to me, I think is actually the better diss track. I mean, the hit him up has the big shock value because, you know, I fucked your bitch, you fat motherfucker and all this other stuff. And fuck bad boy. Fuck Biggie. Fuck these mob deep. And Bad Boy is a as a company record label and an organization and all this other shit, you know, everything. That that gets the big thing. But I think, man, substance among substance. I actually think in quality and far as the lyrics, I actually think this is the better diss track. That's just me. Hit him up has the crawl has the has the the shock factor. But I think here he hit all the different parts of everybody he was that he wasn't fucking with at the time. You know what I mean? So uh, yeah, I mean, really, uh, no, no low lights on this as well. I mean, even the tracks on here, "Life of an Outlaw" and "Just Like Daddy," you know, they're cool. I'm, I'm cool with those tracks too, man. Um, the production on this, like I said, I felt as though it wasn't repetitive. And you kind of look at the the producer track list, and you're like, oh damn, no Dre, no Daz, no Quick, no, no, like I don't know about this shit. But then as you get into the album, you just sit there and you vibe and you chill and you're like, yo, man, this shit is actually cool. You know, for there not to be no really, really big names. And these were the producers that used to be in the whack room. You know, it's surprising. It really is pleasantly surprising. So now we're going to get into notable quotable and talk about some notable quotables. Jay, you got a notable quotable for us. And if you do, what where is it from? Yeah. So like um, I say um, Pac's second verse on White Man's World, mm. he was like. Being born with less, I must confess, only adds to the stress. Two gunshots to my homie's head, died in his vest, shot him to death and left him bleeding for his family to see. I passed his casket, gently asking, is it heaven for G's? Mm. My homeboy's doing life, his baby mama be stressing, shedding tears with her son, finally asked that question. But my daddy at, mama, why we live so poor? Why you crying? Heard you late night through my bedroom door. Mm-hmm. Now, do you love me, mama? Why do you keep calling me nigga? Get my weight up with my hate. I pay him back when I'm bigger. Mm-hmm. And still thugging in this jail cell, missing my block. Hearing brothers screaming all night, wishing they stopped. Proud to be black, but why we act like we don't love ourselves? Don't look around, buster, you sucker. Check yourselves. Know what it's mean to be black, whether man or girl. We still struggling in this white man's world. So, yeah, yeah, man. Then going back to the heartfelt lyrics, you know what I'm saying? Pac was spitting like. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if it was like him, like kind of waking up from like the demons and all the shit that Sugar was putting in his ear, but. Yeah. You know, he's definitely still there within the joint. He definitely was still there. You could definitely hear him. He know that he's still there. And a lot of that is even in my notable quotable, which is just first first from blasphemy. You know, he says, my family tree consists of drug dealers, thugs and killers struggling, known to hustle, screaming, fuck they feelings. I got advice from my father. All he told me was this. Nigga, get up up your ass as you plan to be rich. There's 10 rules to this game, but I'll share with you too. No, niggas gonna hate you for whatever you do. Now, rule one, get your cash on MOB. That's money over bitches because they breed envy. Now, rule two was a hard one. Watch for phonies. Keep your enemies close, nigga. Watch your homies. I seemed a little important when he told me I smiled. Put the jewels being handed to an innocent child. I never knew in my lifetime I lived by these rules. Initiated as an outlaw, studying rules. Now, Papa ain't around, so I got to recall or come to grips with being written on my enemy's walls. Promised if I have a seed, I'm a god, I'm right. Dead Lord, don't let me die tonight. I got words for my comrades. Listen and learn. Ain't nothing free. Give back what you earn. No doubt. Getting higher than the motherfucker blessed and pleased. This thug life will be the death of me. I mean, it's just, just rules, man. Just, you know. Just like. Mm, yeah. I mean, just, just talking about just the type of thing that his father told him. He said, it's 10 rules to this rap. I'm just going to give you two. And these are the ones that you need to be what you need to worry about. And he said, you know, get your cash on M.O.B. 
You know, it's money over bitches because they breed envy. As a rule two, though, is a hard one. Watch for phonies. Keep your enemies close, nigga. Watch your homies. And that just sort of reminds me of the shit that he went through with him fucking around with Haitian Jack. And so many people told Pac not to fuck around with him. You know what I'm saying? And mm-hmm. Pac thought they was cool. Pac thought they was cool. Thought they was cool. Some shit went down. And that's what the fuck, you know, we saw where what the fuck happened to him. You know what I mean? And I think this is, like I said, part of him sort of waking up from this malaise that he was sort of in from in between right before he went to jail to being bailed out of jail to now finally having a clear mind, you know? So, yeah, 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 man. There's tons of notable quotables on this, man. You can go to Hail Mary. You can go to Against All Odds. You can go to uh, toss it up. And he toss it up. Yeah, when he dissed Dre. And <laughs> that's another thing I noticed as well, man. Somebody on my social media page saying, like, this girl, but like when I first heard it, uh, you know, when I first heard Toss It Up, I was like, oh, damn, this is sexy. I like this or whatever. Then all of a sudden, Pop come out of nowhere and he talking this hard shit and talking about all this shit about Dre. Like, hold on, where the fuck did this come from? <laughs> like, <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah, she was like, that shit escalated real quickly. I was like, yeah, right. yeah, it did. It definitely did. He definitely had some venom for Dre, though, without a shadow of a doubt. Um, Dre was on his hit list and shit, too, man. So, yeah, that was just uh, <laughs> that was really crazy, man. Really, really crazy. That video was crazy too, though. For tossed it up, that was actually, I believe, as somebody was saying, was the last video he shot before he passed away. So, yeah. Right. Plus, of him saying, I know at the time Lisa Ray was in that dream. Was like, yeah, Lisa girl, Ray. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. Classic times, man. Classic, classic times. Lisa Ray back there. She was, she was on the short list. <laughs> she was on the short list. Oh man. Yeah. Yes, sir. So now we're here, Jay. Now we're here to the test, the tunnel test, the time to see where we are, to see what kind of classic it is. Do we think it's a certified classic, borderline classic, a classic just in this time, or not a classic at all? And then, of course, on a rating of 7 to 10. So what say you about Tupac's Machiavelli, Don Caluminati, the seven-day theory? I'm going to say classic 10 out of 10. Yeah. I'm going to say classic, certified classic. I'm also going to give it a 10 out of 10. I actually have this now as my second favorite Tupac album after Me Against the World. I actually like this better than I like All Eyes On Me, to be quite honest. And I think All Eyes On Me has some incredible songs on it. I think it's, it's as a whole, is still a good album. It's still, I would say, not even just a good album. I would say it's a borderline classic to classic album. But I feel as though there's a lot of filler on that second disc, on disc number two. But this, yeah. to me, man, is very short, very truncated, 12 tracks, man. No filler on this joint. All passion and emotion and very, very well produced. So I definitely give this a 10 out of 10 and also a certified classic rating as well. So there we have it, y'all. Machiavelli, the Don Caluminati Seven Day Theory by Tupac, his first posthumous album released on Death Row 25 years ago this week. Make sure y'all go check it out, listen to it. It was to us a very shocking album for those of us who were out and around that time because Tupac's the, the news of Tupac's death was still very raw. And so go check it out. Listen to it, man. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a good listen. It's definitely a good listen for about an hour or so. And that is going to wrap up yet another edition of The Vault. Please make sure you are checking us out on our new host on Red Circle. You can also download, stream, and subscribe to The Vault Classic Music Review on any one of our streaming sources. If you go to the link in any one of our social media pages in the bio, you'll find our link tree. There you can get to all of our streaming sources and then also all of our social media pages 
Once again, you can get to the vault on Instagram on at Vault CMR Podcast, on Twitter at Vault Classic, and on Facebook and YouTube, you can search the Vault Pla- the Vault Classic Music Reviews Podcast. Like the Facebook page, subscribe to the YouTube channel, interact with us on social media, let us know what you think. We do it here all for you. We appreciate the support, and if you have a friend, tell a friend, and make sure that that friend tells a friend. Always remember to keep your headphones on and your music loud, but not too loud. And as we close, we like to remind everyone to dream big, because dreams are the basis for creation. Always create, motivate, and elevate, because you are never destined or created to stay stationary in this life. And on that note, we say peace. Thank you for listening and coming into The Vault. Please subscribe and follow us on Facebook at IV Creative and Instagram at IVECRE8. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, Place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.